Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding Podcast, sitting alongside my co-founder, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going well. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Hey, we are going to be in New York, November 11th through the 15th. Maybe you're listening to this now when we are in New York. Right. If so, reach out to invest at focuscompounding.com uh, if you want to meet up with Jeff and myself uh, to talk about our money management services, either through the fund that we are launching January 1st, 2020, or through the managed accounts. Uh, we have something for everybody, whether you're a qualified investor or a non-qualified investor, um, and you're interested in learning more about it, definitely reach out to invest at focuscompounding.com. Also, if you're not following me on Twitter, you definitely should be. That's the best place to get all content uh, that we put out and that's at focus compound so in today's video we are going to be doing our five minutes on five stocks again the first five minutes on five stocks that was very well received and i think it's good because it's um i guess it adds a level of um you know being practical uh to the investing process so we're going to do that again so i ran a screen i picked five random stocks have quick fs.net up and um you know we could just kind of um read it off and kind of see what your thoughts are and whether or not you think uh, it'd be interesting to do a little bit more research on it. And of course, um, for the most part, as long as the screen was right, these all should be overlooked stocks. Yeah. Um, you know, but we could just go through the process. So the first one that I pulled, this was completely random, is K12 Inc., Ticker L R N. Have you ever heard of the company? No, but it's going to have something to do with education. Learn K twelve and yeah. tickers L R N. Yeah. So, do you have any thoughts on the education industry, like, like for, for profit? profit? Yeah, I mean, US? I remember Strayer University was a stock mm. um, a couple years ago. I don't even think they're public anymore. They got they merged with someone, and I forget. But yeah, do you have any general thoughts on the industry in general? Like, uh, would you just kind of quickly be like, eh, I don't know if I'm interested in it because it is for profit. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I have looked at some, analyzed some years ago when there were a few hot stocks in it that kind of became busted growth stocks. I think the one I looked at the most was Apollo. Um, but there were other ones that people liked a lot and they get written up a lot. Um, if I remember, they were mostly heavily shorted kinds of stocks, whereas then there were other people who liked them for their free cash flow and all that. Yeah, know? I was going to say, it's probably an industry ripe for... Um, sketchiness too if you think about it for profit yeah. you know what i'm saying i mean well, it's like, very very marketing driven yeah um, but you have to understand not that quality that, driven or yeah, yeah but you have to understand that like the community college system in the u.s for instance which would be one of their big competitors probably has very low graduation rates mm -hmm. like i i mean there's some uh and, and some state colleges that are uh, catering to first time in their family going to college I know someone who works at a college that is uh, not-for-profit. Not it's yeah. run by a state, but it's focused entirely on people who are the first in their um, families to go to college. Really? And I would say their six-year graduation rate is around 20%. Interesting. Yeah, so about 80% of the people will not graduate within six years. Wow. So that sort of thing is likely to happen uh, in for-profit stuff, and it's likely to happen online and all that, sure. you know, compared yeah. to like uh, four-year expensive colleges, yeah. Got it. So let's go through some of the, I guess, snap 
judgments, if you will. So the beta is 0.32. So already uh, that could be pretty interesting. Um, it has a market cap of 790 million. Mm -hmm. What does um, this company actually do? Because it's called K12, so I assume it isn't for-profit college or anything. Yeah, like let's that. read their business description. I have Yahoo Finance pulled up. Uh, is a technology-based education company, together with its subsidiaries, provides online. Uh, curriculum, software systems, and educational services to facilitate individualized learning for students primarily in kindergarten through K-12 okay. or through 12th, uh, great United States and internationally. Interesting. So maybe it also offers full-time programs, virtual and blended public schools. So oh. it's pretty much like an online school, it sounds like, for K, uh, you know, kindergarten through 12th grade. Has a lot of employees. You just showed me that's 4,550 full-time employees, does it say? Is that what yeah, it that is what it says. It's well, a huge is, number of employees, yeah, so I don't know what that's all about. Interesting. Yeah. Um, let's go to the... Let's find out about the share turnover. Okay. kind of curious to look at that. What's the market cap on this, by the way? Well, QuickFS says $700 million, but Yahoo Finance says $818 million, Enterprise value $672 million, so it looks like they have... We can figure Net that cash. out ourselves if we knew the shares that's saying. Yeah. You could do that just by looking at the 10Q. Um, okay, so we got uh, average three-month volume, 354,850. We can multiply that by 252. You get 89 million shares. And what's the shares outstanding? 40.96. 40. So, so it looks like it turns over. It turns over a lot. It's in heavily shorted, though. Yeah. It's not very heavily shorted. Interesting. Okay, so let's go back to... So uh, the it may actual, not be a micro. It may not be a uh, overlook stock. No, we don't know that. Yeah, but we could just talk through it and sure. just what your general thoughts are. So, uh, revenue growth. Uh, let's see, a ten-year Kager on it has been twelve point four. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, pretty interesting. Assets thirteen percent. EPS has grown by eight percent for a ten-year Kager. Uh, we could just quickly look at EV to sales. It's 0.9. So again, uh, just sort of as a rough estimate, Jeff and I usually just look at EV to sales. If it's 0.9, move the decimal place um, one time, and you should be looking for um, operating income margin of at least nine percent, and that they've hit that in some years. And it looks like they actually did in 2010, but since then it's kind of been declining. The ten-year median margin for EBIT's actually 3.4%. Uh, free cash flow margin, 10-year median uh, is 6.4%. Gross profit, 37.7%. The one thing I'm seeing that's odd here is the free cash flow margin looks uh, high versus the operating margin. Is yeah. that right? Or is no, that it does. Yeah. No, you, that's, that, I mean, assuming QuickFS is getting this uh, correctly, uh, mm -hmm. that, is, uh, that is true. And the EBIT to free cash flow, it's trading 10 times. So that's uh, kind of interesting. Okay, so it seems like free cash flow is high, and it also seems like growth is high. Yeah. Um, but the problem with that growth yeah. is the return on equity is kind of low. Yeah, but how is that possible unless they've been adding to their share count and stuff over time? If So just so people understand, if it shows you a low return on invested capital or something like that, a return on equity for a company um, on an earnings basis... It, it would have to be raising capital to grow as fast as it has unless it has been using its cash. Its cash earnings might be different than its um, uh, reported earnings. Yeah. Because the cash earnings are going to determine what you actually can put back into the business and how fast you can grow. So you wouldn't be able to grow at 12% a year um, without a higher return on uh, equity unless a cash return on equity unless you were issuing shares or something like that. So let's see. <laughs> That's... <laughs> So a cool part about QuickFS is they have a section on there called Download Financials, and it literally looks like a model, I guess you could say, that mm -hmm. an analyst would do. So I downloaded the financials really quick. 
Um, this has going back to 2004. And if we look at the income statement, the diluted shares outstanding has gone from 10, I'm assuming this is millions, right? 10 mm -hmm. million. Um, and to 2019 to 41 million. So, so yeah, you, million. so you're so right 10 on that. To 41 means it doubled twice in how many years? That was since 2004. So 2004. So 2004 to 2019, it doubled twice. It's grown in shares outstanding probably by like 10% a year or something yeah. if you do the math on I that. I mean, and even if you go from 2010, diluted shares outstanding were 30 million. And then now currently they're 41 million. So okay. the past, you know. So if that's true, then it ha does have a low return on equity possibly because it hasn't been self-financing. Um, it's actually been issuing shares to accomplish that. Now we don't know at what price the shares were issued and all that. We'd have to look into that to yeah. see how much they really raised from that. If they issued the shares at low prices, then actually they didn't finance much of the growth with it. They do have per share figures for... Um, Quick FS too. Dude, this website is so, awesome. Yeah. So you can <laughs> so also cool. look at that. Where are we going? Where are we looking at? Um, so just over time. So revenue per share. Do you have revenue? Oh, per yeah. Here we go. Either? Revenue per share. So how much has that gone from? Okay. So in 2004, it was 7.12. Uh, yeah. And then the problem is look at 2007. 2019, so. it was 24. Yeah. But it's not up at all over like 10 years. Right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So something's been going on where in the last 10 years or so, the share issuance has been very high versus the revenue growth. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Yeah, so um, so that's something that if you wanted, you'd be intrigued to learn a little bit more about why. Yeah, uh, I mean, unless something completely changed with this company, it would be no for me very quickly because I'm not interested in a company that grows its shares that fast. That's yeah. just not going to be something. Yeah, I mean, by ten percent per year. I think that's the number. Yeah, just so people know, the way to do that, the way I just did that, and uh, you can look at quick FS at Kager numbers and things. But one way to do it is obviously to figure out how many years it took for it to double and how many times numbers doubled. Yeah. So if you just look at like the ten-year number and you say, okay, it more than doubled or something like that. Well, if it doubled in, uh, you know, using like the rule of seventy-two, if it doubled in seven years or something, that would be about ten percent or something like that. And I thought it looked like it had doubled twice. It had mm -hmm. quadrupled in about fifteen years or mm -hmm. something. So I estimated that it was probably. Uh, 10% Kager. Got it. So you would not be interested in that company? No. Right away. Okay. Shoe Carnival Inc. Have you ever... I know this company. Oh, uh, do you? I can't remember. Ticker SCVL. Uh, market cap $529 million. It's currently trading at a PE of 13 and a half times. Uh, EV to sales is 0.6. So we would like to see an operating margin maybe in the area of 6%, or at least that it's hit it. 10-year mm -hmm. median margins is about 5%. Um, doesn't look like they've actually ever hit six, but they did get close to it. So I guess if we want to round up, it's been 5.7. Um, let's see. 10-year Kager for revenue has been 4.7%. Assets, 3.6%. Free cash flow has a 10-year Kager of 17% and EPS of 23.9%. So it looks like they have some sort of operating leverage or something this in is there. either a wholesaler or a retailer shoes because the, the gross margin is uh, average is like 29%. The EBIT margin is like 5%. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I, I, I've owned a shoe retailer uh, once, I think, a long, long, long time ago. Um, they got very cheap on sort of a Ben Graham basis. Um, you have to read the business description because I'm wondering if they do any wholesale stuff or if they're just retail. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. But um, from those margins, we can see that. Um, Beta is one point. It's one, I guess, just yeah. one. Um, let's see. Shoe Carnival Inc., together with its subsidiaries, operates as a family footwear retailer in the United States. The company offers various dress, casual, and athletic footwear products for men, women, and children, and accessories such as socks, belts, shoe care items, handbags, and sports bags. Backpacks, scarves, and wallets. As of February 
2019, operated 397 stores in 35 states. In Puerto Rico, the company also sells its products through online shopping at shoecarnival.com. Shoe Carnival Inc. was founded in 1978 in Indiana. I don't love um, shoe retailers generally. So the thing yeah. with shoe retailers, I think, is they they have a pretty strong position versus their. Um, I gotta look up uh, suppliers. An image know? of this because I'm pretty sure I've been to a shoe carnival okay. in Illinois. Let's see. I mean, like when I was young, like I just yeah. had like a visual picture in my mind of like looking at Skechers. <laughs> there, I've seen this place. Yeah. Haven't you seen this place? I've seen this place. Okay, I've never been to a shoe carnival. No, I feel like I definitely have, but yeah, I feel like. Uh, I'm not a shoe retail aficionado. Uh, yeah. I usually own one pair of shoes. Yeah, I'm more of a. I have a one pair of gym shoes for the yeah. gym, and then I I don't know if I none of my other shoes really have laces on. I'm more of like a slip on guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So they they you know the margins are okay. Um, the returns on capital don't look that great, which means that probably inventory turns aren't that good. Or, yeah, or, or turns in general. Also, if they're leasing all those places, then those are terrible returns on capital. Yeah, if you look at the return equity, let's see, we could get. Does it give us a, uh, oh yeah, 10-year median returns, uh, return assets, 6.2%, return on equity. It looks eight, like return on capital is like 10%. Nine, yeah. I mean, so, I if, mean if we're looking, I'm looking at a graph right now, and there were some briefly bad years, but it's wobbled around 10%. Yeah, look at 08. It's pretty, <laughs> yeah, but I'd say it's pretty stable. 10% is definitely the central tendency there, yeah. from what I can see. Um 10% is if you're leasing stores and things is a poor return. I mean, because that's really a form of leverage. So if that What's a good uh, return for leasing stores? It would have to be really high. Really, really high. It, it depends. but I, And I don't know how they're leasing the stores. Uh, but, I, you know, it's just dangerous. I mean, even a retailer that's earning 15% or something, that's not that impressive because it's leasing all the locations. Um I mean, that's just that's a really weak return to ever have numbers that are in the single digits. Because you have to understand that if if that return on capital isn't taking into account the fact that they're leasing, yeah, um, that means that if they were to own these things, the return on capital would be very very poor. You know, it's kind of like supermarkets or something. Supermarkets often will own some of their locations and then lease other ones. You have to adjust them. We had a write up of Kroger on the website, I think, that went into that where they own about half their locations, and so you have to adjust it for the half. Looks like they have some debt, market cap five hundred twenty-seven million, enterprise value seven hundred thirty-six million. Mm-hmm. Um, I just retailers aren't my thing. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, agree. Uh, the shoes uh, are pretty predictable over time. I don't know how differentiated retailers on very are. thin margins. Yeah, I mean, for a retailer, those margins are okay. Um, the gross margin is, you know, not great, but the operating margin is fine. Um, I there's not a lot of expenses to running a shoe store. Um, but you have to rent the place and then I don't think you're turning over fast enough. Yeah. So I just, the returns on capital, if that's true, just don't look it to me. Okay. Next stock or stock. Let's see. Jeff's favorite place to shop. Ethan Allen interiors. Okay. They I, got one right around us. I do know what, yeah. And I wonder if it's open because I never see anyone parked out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, so terrible. Ethan Allen is, um, Furniture. furniture. Yeah, yeah. furniture. Um, let's and not see. very high end furniture, more middle of the range. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so market cap 519 million. Um, it's currently trading at 70 times earnings. EV to sales is 0.8. So let's see. It looks like they've kind of hit that sometimes, uh, you know, an 8% operating margin. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 year median for margin uh, for EBIT is actually 7.2. 5.6 for free cash flow. Gross profit 54%. 10 year median margin. Obviously, that's pretty high. Uh, revenue 10-year Kager, 1%. Ethan 
Yikes. Yeah, so these numbers look terrible to me. Yeah. Um, and the, even the return equity numbers are just awful. Right. We're basing this off of... Um, so, first of all, this is not a kind of company like Nebraska Furniture Mart or something that I might be interested in. This is a company that has pretty big gross margins, so there's probably some amount of, like... Uh, design element to it that sometimes is popular or whatever Ethan Allen looks like. I don't know enough about furniture to know. Do you think sometimes uh, it's not? What know? do you think the gross margins are on like a Nebraska Furniture Mart? If you had to guess, at most, um, at most, I would say that they're two thirds of that number. I don't know off the top of my head, but I can't believe that they're anywhere near 55%. Yeah. Um, so again, if it's leasing locations, then the return on capital is poor. The fact that revenue only grew by that is extremely worrying because this has been 10 years. We're starting this period in 2010, which is a poor year for furniture sales. Sure. And we're ending in 2019 to have barely grown at all over that time, to not have grown at all in real terms. I mean, we could even go from, look, 2000, I mean, yeah, 2011, 679 to 2019, 747. But even go back, I mean, 2012 was 729 million in revenue and uh, to 747 million today. Yeah, it seems like gross margin is fairly stable. Um, and then the problem is the amount of sales that they're doing mm -hmm. through it's so the volume of sales. So it just seems like they have insufficient sales volume um, that they're doing. Uh, what do you think about the retail business for furniture in general? Is that something that's always going to? Yeah, I mean, is uh, that something that, for example, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do people like to people? That's probably something that people enjoy going in the store to actually check out and see. I would imagine, right? As opposed to looking yeah, for something us, to buy on Amazon. By us, we have a Nebraska furniture market and Ikea and their business models are much better than anyone else in the area. So they would devastate them in terms of if it was who a, would devastate who? I, I keep, Nebraska French Martin and Ikea, they, these companies can't compete with that. Yeah. So they have business models that make a lot of sense and they are better than that. Uh, there's a bunch of Nebraska Furniture Mart stuff in uh, this room. We're looking at some stuff that you can't see that's from Ikea. So um, I don't think that they can get their prices down anywhere near those things because they can't do the volume in one place. You have wide selection. You have all those advantages. So that there's one dominant furniture retailer in each metro area, I believe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But each time there's a recession or something, another one gets pushed out of business. Um, everyone wants the one that has the lowest prices and the widest selection. Sure. You always want to be able to see everything in one place. Yeah. Now, it's true that some build around Nebraska Furniture Mart and stuff to hope that they get people who are also looking there, just like you might have car dealers situated near each other. But, um, yeah, I mean, I compare it to something like a car dealer business or something that way. I think that... Um, and then even Ethan Allen, let's say, the problem is that I, it's in the middle range of things. So what would worry me is like, think about restoration hardware or something, that mm -hmm. they're more driven by design and a fashion sort of element to it. Mm -hmm. They have a clear view that way. You either do that or you do um, what Ikea and uh, Nebraska Furniture Mart do. Nebraska Furniture Mart, have you, you've been in them, obviously, because yeah. you have furniture. That place is fun. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize when I was going there that they were going to sell like TVs and speakers and yep. everything you could even think. I was like, where's the grocery store in and here? And candy. Yeah. And yeah. of course, of course. All righty. Next one. Uh, Wabash National Corp. I think I'm familiar with this company. WNC. If I remember, they do like the trailers for um, semi trucks, I think, but oh, maybe not. Okay. I think I looked at this company years ago. Um, uh, market cap of $838 million. PE 13.5, EBIT sales 0.6, 10-year uh, median margins for EBIT's actually been 6.4%. It looks like in the last uh, couple of years, um, you know, it's been above it. 2015 was uh, 9%, 2016 had 11% EBIT margins, and it's been slowly declining of last year at about 5. 10-year uh, CAGR on revenue has been 10.5%. <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you see what I'm going to point out here, what my issue is. Um, Give me what the revenue is today. Uh, two point <laughs> two, yeah, 2.2 billion. What was it 10 years ago? Um, about, yeah, it looks 300, like 338 million. Yeah, 338 million. So either the company grew a lot yeah. or the bottom of the cycle is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 80% or something below the top of the cycle. I think I just remember, if I remember this company right, it was very cyclical. I mean, because even look at the return equity in 2009 was... <laughs> Negative ninety eight percent or whatever, and the gross margin was is that right? I'm yeah. saying on QuickFS a negative gross margin. Yeah, you're right, which is incredible. Yeah, so it, that's possible to happen to a company if they're having uh, overhead cost absorption at a f- single plant or something. So like an auto parts uh, manufacturer, something could have that happen to them because they are building every all their parts or something at one location. They're used to supplying their customers with like five million parts, and then suddenly in the bottom of a recession, they need to supply them with one million. Suddenly, the cost of every part shoots up because your labor force is still the same, your factory is still the same, and you're putting that into the cost and counting that in your gross costs. Um, so it's a little misleading. That's not the marginal cost mm-hmm. um, normally of what it would be. So basically, your gross costs shoot up yeah. in, in a recession, which could be what happened here. Yeah, I don't even think this is an overlooked stock either. Okay. I mean, beta of two, let's see what their business is. But that could be a lot is. of volatility, not a course. Um, okay. d- designs, manufactures, and distributes transportation and diversified industrial products and provides services primarily in the United States. The company operates through three segments commercial, trailer products, diversified mm-hmm. products, and final mile products. So yeah, the commercial trailer product segment provides dry van trailers, platform trailers, refrigerated trailers, um, dollies, big tire Which haulers, no one buys steel in the yeah. recession because there's no yeah. business. <laughs> yeah, and you just that's the first thing that you defer that. Yeah. So um, very cyclical company. Like we could see. Uh, let's see, three year average. Vo- I'm sorry, three month average volume four hundred and twenty five thousand shares. Uh, we can multiply that by roughly 252 trading days a year. We get 114 million shares outstanding is 54 million. So they turn over, you know, yeah, pretty so decent amount more than that's you know, not a times. overlooked stock at no, all. Totally yeah. not. Um, but yeah, as for you know something that jumped out to you right away was the negative gross margins in 2009 and how but, much the company has grown. I don't know how the stock did since then, but if you were ever going to buy the stock, you'd want to buy it in a year like 2009. You want to buy a stock like this when the EV to sales is incredibly low, but there's no profit basically. Now, that was a really bad recession, so maybe they'll never get to a point where they don't make any money yeah. again. But I wouldn't buy this on like a low PE. You should buy something like that when it has a high PE or no earnings at all, probably. Got it. Not overlooked, though. All righty. Next company and last company, Coffee Holdings Company, okay. ticker GVA. That's kind of catchy. JVA. Java. Yeah, JVA, <laughs> ticker. Um, let's see. PE, 78 times. Okay. Uh, EV to sales, 0.3. 10-year median margins for EBIT's been kind of in the area of 3%. Uh, revenue CAGR for the past 10 years has been 2.4%. In 2009, they did $74 million in revenue. In 2018, they did $91 million. Returns have been not interesting one bit. No, is this a distributor? I don't know. What's going so. on? Because their gross profit is uh, rarely much above about 13% or something. It's hard to believe that they're... I mean, do they wholesale coffee to places? What does this have to do? Let's see. So... Um, Manufacturers roast packages, markets, and distributes roasted and blended coffees in the United States. Okay. Australia, Canada, England, and China. Wholesale. The company offers wholesale green coffee products, which okay. include unroasted raw beans of approximately 90 varieties that are sold to large, medium, and small roasters, Okay, as so well as coffee shop operators. All right. So they're supplying the actual raw beans, which is a commodity, to... Um, 
small companies or large companies to roast them on site, presumably. Yeah. So that's obviously a real commodity thing. Um, and that explains why their gross margins are so low. They would have to have very high turns to have decent returns on equity, and I'm not seeing that here. Yeah. Um, I'm also not sure how... Look at the lack of predictability in EPS growth. <laughs> yeah, well... It's very, very volatile. One thing that's very concerning is why is the gross margin moving that much? So if you're doing this sort of distribution and stuff... Um, your gross margin, you would hope, doesn't swing around that much. Say you were distributing cigarettes or something. Your gross yeah. margin won't swing at all, or drugs. Um, those companies that do that have very stable gross margins because they buy a product at a very stable price and sell it at a very stable price, and then it's just a matter of the turns. Here I'm worried about like looking at that gross margin. Does that mean that they're not able to handle certain jumps in their input costs or something? Mm-hmm. Are they sometimes buying... Um, beans at higher prices and then when they go to sell it they're not able to pass that all along I don't know what's going on there so I mean that's very concerning this looks like a uh, I don't want to say bad things about it if people own the stock and stuff but it just doesn't look to me like the product economics here based on those numbers are good now maybe some of it is the site that we're using and maybe there's some messiness in their past results I don't know yeah but I don't think so because if you go over to Guru Focus it kind of looks very similar. Yeah, I definitely, if you have a 13% gross margin average, it needs to be a very, very stable margin. It yeah. needs to be something like that. This is really worrying me that they seem to have great instability in their gross margin. To give you an idea, I'm seeing moves in the gross margin that are like two-thirds of the entire gross margin. Even if you had a 50% gross margin, you wouldn't want to see swings in it of like 20% or something, right? You wouldn't mm-hmm. want to see it be 30% in one year and 70% in another. But that's what we're seeing here just on a low gross margin. I mean, I see, if I'm right, I see two years there or three years there where the gross margin is dramatically under 10 yeah uh, percent um for gross margins yeah Yikes. so it's not just that it's a low gross margin it's incredibly unstable you would want if you have a low gross margin to have a very very stable gross margin that's usually low gross margin companies have very stable gross margins and then you would want high turns um it i guess has high enough turns that in good years for the gross margin it seems to have a decent return on equity i mean it has one year where it has like a 14 percent gross margin or something like that and it's able to get like a 20 percent return on capital mm-hmm. so it's not impossible maybe the businesses have scale or something but the the wobbliness of the gross margin yeah. is Lack of predictability. No. No. We're not be interested. O for five today. <laughs> o for five, and that's good. I mean, we're not we're not here to you know go five for five. I just pick random stocks, and it's good for us to uh, talk about. I gotta make sure I actually delete them off of the Excel because then I won't actually. Uh, what go what them stock, again. if we had to pick one, would we have been done more research? On, um, hmm. Well, if we were short sellers, every single one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's see. I don't even know. Because this, I mean, Wabash was Not incredibly cyclical. What's the price? Who the heck wants to be in Ethan Allen Shoe Carnival? I mean, retailer of shoes, really? Probably not. Um, You're still paying a premium to book and stuff there. Yeah, I don't know. EV to EBITDA. K twelve. We. I just hate for profit education. I should be careful with saying that. I don't hate. I don't know that education, exactly but I don't like it as a stock. Do I don't like no, that issuing that many shares. If they issued that many shares, I wouldn't buy the stock. Yeah, so that's totally. not going to happen. And that's true though. They've been. I mean, their share count's been growing by ten percent a year. I guess it would have to be Shoe Carnival. I can't see anything else here that seems remotely as safe. Cigar butt. I mean, Shoe Carnival and Ethan Allen, but I... I we are not endorsing you to research on those companies. No, and I and I don't um, buy retailers, really, but I guess those would be the better ones to look at. What a bummer. Well, we're going to we're gonna do these videos a lot more often because it's fun. Um, I think it's good for people to hear just the way that you think and kind of walk through the process and just how quickly you could disqualify a company. And that's mm-hmm. it. I mean, you know, you see the share count go up, and that's something that's very 
um, troublesome where you see the lack of predictability and the gross margins, and that's very interesting yeah. to people as well. So we're going to do a lot of these videos. Yeah, and it's just a five-minute thing. There could be cases with some of these managements change their strategies. Totally. Change, and completely and, we, and we understand, things. yeah, that you know some of the best companies or best investments don't screen well, and we get mm -hmm. that. But this is just kind of what we're doing for the process. So I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with me and Jeff here today. We are going to be in New York November 11th through the 15th. Uh, reach out to invest at focuscompound.com if you'd like to meet up to learn about our money management services. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. If you're listening on the podcast side, a rating and review goes a very long way for us. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to follow along.